Thanks for downloading the Table Talk Radio podcast. It's Ten Commandments in the news the whole time. We're talking about the illegality of the Catholic Church adopting babies into gay couples, and we talk about Paula White, the president's spiritual advisor. Stay tuned. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunched. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys would put mega the mega crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. Salutation. Could be oh. my buzzword, but it's not. But I'm oh. using my buzzwords today from the uh, the index or the glossary, rather, of the small catechism. So oh, oh. salutation is one of them. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, everyone's favorite theological game show. And uh, blessed Advent to you, Pastor Wolfmiller. Hey, thank you. We're still in Advent? <laughs> yeah. If this show goes out in Advent, then that's great news because <laughs> I'm going to be plugging the Martin Luther calendar. <laughs> oh, that's right. We do. I, I have a hard time imagining you being you plugging anything during the course of the show. I know, but anyway, it's hard to imagine. Anyway, Martin Luther calendar. Yeah, uh, but we we got some Ten Commandments in the news. Um, okay, Ten Commandments in the news from a few months ago. <laughs> I mean, news kind of implies current events, like current news, but that is right. not the intention of the no. word news here. You don't people do people do not. Um, People do not want to be listening to the old uh, Table Talk Radio to keep current with things. No, no. People are like, hey, did you hear that what? Trump, War Trump got elected? <laughs> <laughs> I just heard about it on Table Talk Radio. Anyway, um, so after some buzzwords, we're doing some tinkers in the news and maybe some time for some preaching to Hollywood. So okay, cool. that's what we're working on today. But first, buzzwords. What's your buzzword? Uh, my, oh, here. I wrote it down here. Ipsissima Vox. Mm-hmm. Ipsissima Vox. I actually cheated today and went to the Theopedia for my buzzword. Ipsissima Vox is the Latin expression meaning the very voice. And it describes the view that the New Testament gospel accounts capture the concepts that Jesus expressed, but not the exact words. Ipsissima Vox is contrasted with Ipsissima Verba, meaning the very words. Wow, I'm, I'm actually writing this down. This is it, a this is some of the first box. time. Okay, yeah. good. All right, my theological. Uh, now here's this is oh, a tricky please. thing because we think that Jesus probably spoke in Aramaic, but then so then that's what that does is it gives people wiggle room. They're like, well, the Greek words that we have in the in the Gospels are not the precise words that Jesus spoke because he didn't speak in Greek. Well, maybe, maybe what, not. What, but they are the Holy Spirit inspired words, right. and so that's what the Lord has given us. Which okay, now I, I was thinking about this 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 last week a little bit, driving back and forth from Albuquerque, meditating on this is that there's like. Probably four events that we want to keep in mind 
when studying the Bible, especially when studying the Gospels. Are you, are you ready? To this? Yeah. Number one, the event itself, the historical happening, like say Jesus riding into into Jerusalem uh, for the for Palm Sunday. There is the event, and then the, the second thing is the the a recording of that event, which was which is its own unique thing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sat and wrote the stuff down. And then we have the reflection of the church on that writing, on the event and the writing of the event. And then we have our own particular circumstances where we're, where we're preaching on it. So, so, for example, with the writing of Jesus in Jerusalem, for the church reflecting on it, we could think of the Sanctus, which comes right before the Lord's Supper, where we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, like the people did. So that you have that, and then you have the, 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 the event being preached. Now, here's what I think is very interesting is that we are so kind of media distrustful that and and we're so on the on alert for fake news and we're so aware that the people who are feeding us the the accounts of various histories are doing so with their own agenda in mind that I think it we become jaded when we read the the gospel texts and and we say, well, okay, there was the event, but what is Matthew up to there? And we start to we start to build this wedge between Jesus and what Jesus did and Matthew who told it to us. Now this is obvious in the liberal churches, but I think it sneaks in there for us as well. And we start to think, well, what is Matthew doing as if he's trying to do something different than the event was doing? And so what one of the things that comes to us when we're meditating on the scriptures is that we have to trust that the very that the words we have on the page are are brought to us by God the Holy Spirit who loves us and by Matthew or the apostles or whoever the prophets who also love us and they're not trying to trick us or deceive us but trying to bless us with the things that they're writing down there and that's an important part of our piety so the so the gospel writers are not reporters right so so that um, to, to to hear the words of Matthew are to hear the words of Jesus um, or John. You know, I mean, John John outwardly says there are many other things that could not be recorded in this book, but these were written that you may have eternal life. And that isn't because that they are a transcription of the words of Jesus per se, but that all of what John writes, even when he's not making direct discourse of Jesus's words and just telling like what what John the Baptist preached, for example, that's also the word of Jesus to us through, uh, through Matthew. Is that what you're saying? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, and we, so, you know, this, this red letter Christian deal too. Have you yeah, come yeah, across yeah. that? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And they want to say just the words of Jesus. And I think the reason why is because people have the idea that Jesus is like Mr. Rogers. Have you seen the new Mr. Rogers movie? No, <laughs> I haven't either. But I saw Mr. Rogers, the old movie, which was his show, you know. <laughs> which went on I for like 60 years or something crazy. Did you, did you grow up watching Mr. Rogers? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you? I do too. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, so <clears throat> I saw a video of the first first uh, time he, he recorded on set and the last time. And it was like going from Mr. Rogers 20 years old to Mr. Rogers 70 years old. I mean, the guy, it was he did that show for a long time. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Uh, I mean, I just he was just, you know, Mr. Rogers to me. I don't know why I like this show so much. But that's how people think of Jesus. Like, hey, how was your day? 
you know, I mean, just this, whatever. Nice. But, and so they want it. They're like, we need the red letter Bible because that'll be the nice stuff. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the socialist mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> but it's like, well, okay, fine. Pick the red letters. But did, have you read them? Mm-hmm. I mean, anyway. Right. No, great, great point. Now, just, just to, to circle back what you said with the kind of the four reflections, um, you're not there saying that those are four kind of levels of authority or anything like that. So that, um, so, so that we could, that, that there's value in seeing how the church has received these words and how they apply uh, to us today. But, um, but that, that's something different than to say that somehow there's um, kind of four levels of authority of this text. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's right. No, no, it is. The, the, well, so what we have is the text. This is what's interesting. I mean, we don't have the event. We were not there to witness the triumphal entry, but we, but we have the text of that which is the reliable eyewitness. So what the Lord wants us to have is the words. See, this is the danger with the epips, how do you say it? Ipsissima vox is to say, well, no, the important thing is not the words that, that Matthew wrote down, but the words that Jesus originally spoke. No, the Holy Spirit has decided to give us the words. And we have the event which are, which are accurately recounted by the words, and we have the reflection on those words, which happens in the church, but the authority is the words, the words that are on the page, the words of the Scripture. That's the authoritative voice of God. Ah, There you go. All right. Uh, My uh, theological buzzword for you is a Latin word. It's uh, pulpit, which translated into English is pulpit. (laughs) Do I have to say it with a Latin accent? Yeah, Pulpit. you do. <laughs> I think Latin just should be spoken a little more sultry. This is did the you ca- climb, <laughs> did, you, did you preach your sermon from the middle of the church, or did you climb up into the pulpit to pulpit. preach it? <laughs> Here's the, uh, the, the definition from the uh, CPH small catechism. I use the old school. I mean, by old school for me is like the red one before the most recent... <laughs> Version. Anyway, it says a raised platform or stand from which the pastor preaches the sermon. A very, very theologically heavyweight buzzword there for us. But I think there's some something to talk about with the pulpit. Um, now, I don't think we can get into these kind of categories of like sin, like it's a sin to not be in the pulpit or anything like that. But I think uh, maybe to your point that we can see the value of what the church has received and what church has done uh, over the years. And uh, for some, for a, a preacher to stand in the pulpit and almost let himself be confined by that pulpit um, is restricting what he does there to the delivery of God's word, the proclamation of the word. Um, now, it, there was a time in not so long, far ago history that um, preachers started to abandon the pulpit, probably uh, around uh, the Great Awakening. Um, where the emphasis was not on the word of God itself having its its power inherently, but that it relied heavily upon the uh, dynamics of the preacher. And in order to engage in that, it uh, it becomes a lot easier when when the guy is not just stuck behind this pulpit, but can actually march around and drone up some more attention. So the pulpit, I think, has a value. Again, not sin or or anything like that, but. Uh, has a value to say, look, I am here to deliver the word and to do nothing more. So, pulpit is your theological buzzword. We'll be right back, uh, diving into some Ten Commandments in the news. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. 
Table Talk Radio. The games are just an excuse. Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the Devotions button. Yep. Take me up to the news. That's what we're doing now. No, I think this came about because uh, you were finding, Pastor Wolfner, maybe I'm just making this up, that people were finding the Ten Commandments to exist only within the frame of the Bible, and then they'd go out and live their lives and say, I wonder why the Ten Commandments didn't come up at some point in my life. That's right. <laughs> I learned all those commandments for nothing. It's like the kids learning algebra. When am I ever going to use this in real life? I know. There's no letters shall not in murder. math. When am I ever going to use this in real life? <laughs> well, we have a game for that. <laughs> we do. That's right. Now, I, 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 I get that now and again when my kids, they're getting old enough to say, when am I ever going to use calculus? When am I ever going to use chemistry? Oh, I don't know. I use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, my daughter says that too. I'm trying to teach her to walk. She's like, when am I ever going to use this? <laughs> She's talking. What do you mean words? <laughs> she knows mama and dada, that's all she needs. Okay? That's, life is set. It is, <laughs> it is a thing. It is a, what, a, uh, a thing for our very uh, pragmatic society that we only have to learn things that are useful. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Interesting. All right, well, uh, how this works then is we look at some news or, and uh, talk about how the Ten Commandments aren't necessarily broken, but they're involved in a story because we want to see that um, God's Word is applying to these areas of life even when we don't realize it. So, for example, if a if an article talks about money, um, that would be including then the Seventh Commandment, you shall not steal, and, and right. things like that. So, yep. here is a story that yep. was given to us. And it says, Trump administration to repeal limits on religious adoption groups. That sounds pretty interesting. Here's a story. Regulation from the Trump administration is set to end the Obama-era policies restricting some federal funds from flowing to some faith-based adoption and foster care groups. It's a move many religious organizations say is long overdue. But progressives argue the administration is now legalizing and endorsing discrimination against the LGBTQ community. So let's discuss with former Washington. All right, so we're going to hear some uh, commentators come in. But this is just as as a start, uh, as a story, it says, okay, um, the Trump administration is going to reverse some things that Obama put in place. It says if you're a religious organization doing adoptions, you're not going to get federal funds. And the reversal of that is said, at least, um, to be uh, anti-same sex, something like that. Uh, so, this is amazing. So, 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 so the assertion the is if I, if I want like, to – if I'm in the adoption business yeah. and I want to say – children belong in homes with a mom and a dad that statement according to the story by some is considered anti-gay oh and so then so if you will only adopt couples to people who are married for example like say what if you like didn't give adoptions to people who are single does that count or is only if it's people who are a fair point gay fair point or what about if like what if you're gay but um but you're not married, but you're in a committed relationship. Hmm. What is that? In other words, what? Are, I don't know. What are the restrictions? Are you not supposed to have no 
standard at all as to what kind of family the the child is adopted into or right. is it just that you can't say that it's a gay couple can't do it what do you do we know the details here maybe we'll we'll get more as the story uh, unfolds so here here's more okay. of it contributing editor Kathy Rue and the Daily Caller video columnist Stephanie Hamill. Great to have you both with us tonight. Great to see you, Shannon. Okay, so uh, what this essentially um, equates to is there was a regulation that said money couldn't flow to, for instance, Catholic charity groups uh, that have uh, adoption agencies, and they say we prefer to place our children with people who share our Catholic faith or believe in same-sex or uh, in traditional marriage, not same-sex marriage. Uh, and I talked to an attorney who's involved with this in Philadelphia, and he says they've actually never had a same-sex couple come to them, but they are being sued over this. Stephanie, um, the Trump administration wow. says they're trying to help out on that front. Yes, absolutely. So they're moving forward with this. And, you know, Shannon, this is something that I've been tracking for a while, and I talk about this quite a bit, the attack on religious freedom. And it seems like there are so many attacks coming from the left on religious organizations, especially when it comes to Christian organizations. And if you look at this, you know, I I see it as charities shouldn't have to choose between their religious views and beliefs uh, and putting that before helping the needy. And, and that's what this case is. And as you pointed out, uh, you know, th this this charity is being sued over something that it never even encountered. So um, I, I do think that people shouldn't be discriminated against, but also our, our religious people should be protected. OK, there's probably more, but do uh, you want to comment on that so far? Remember like five minutes ago when it was not legal for two dudes to be married? Yeah. I mean, this is astonishingly fast how, how things change. Um, you know, I was a Obergefell decision. It was like, was it three years ago now? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I so I, I had remarked, I was just thinking about this. This is off the topic at hand a little bit, but since you brought it up, <laughs> um, I, I remember when we actually still debated this thing, whether, you know, two dudes could be married or not. And um, one, of, one of the arguments I think uh, a lot of uh, pro-marriage people made was that if, if, you, if you take apart the, you know, the traditional understanding of marriage, the natural understanding of marriage, that it's you know, a man and a woman as an exclusive relationship and a permanent relationship, um, if, you, if, you, if you break that apart, then the other, the other columns fall as well. So there's, there's nothing to say that it has to be between two people. I mean, who's to say that it can't be between two, three, four, five people? You know, that's, that's a marriage union, someone could say. And um, I think what we've seen, uh, maybe that's, that's still kind of headed that way. Um, time will tell. But I think what, what, what the result has been so quickly, just within the three years of, of our nation redefining what marriage is, is when you redefine marriage, you don't have a definition of what uh, sex is or gender is, right? So that I mean, I mean this this transgender nonsense has has existed for a long time, but it seemed like gas really got poured on that fire once we didn't have a definition of marriage anymore. So so, so that so that. Our, our sex is intrinsic to what marriage is, and once we remove that as an intrinsic, intrinsic component to marriage, now there's no definition of sex at all. That's really interesting. So let me say if I'm, if I'm tracking with you, because I think this is a brilliant sort of point, is that there's, there, was all sorts of, there was all sorts of confusion about, about gender stuff that was just sort of boiling under the surface, and our understanding of marriage sort of kept it in check. 
because you because you look at marriage and you're like, well, that's a man and that's a woman because mm-hmm. that's a husband and that's a wife. But mm-hmm. when that breaks loose, when 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 that falls, then th- there's these unintended consequences, even in the in people's self understanding and in our mental health stuff. So that when right. so that when marriage is no longer understood to be uh, man and woman, soon to be mom and dad, but it's something else, then. Yeah. Then there's no holding back on anything that has to do with family and gender and sexuality. It's all kind of right. So, so that that marriage. I mean, I've I've always said that family is the bedrock of a society. I mean, we are organized in families. You know, I mean, this is, this is the the point you like to bring out from Luther all the time of the three estates and and the main state being that of the home. And so, what what is that? Um, framework then within that bedrock of society is marriage. I mean, you, you, you have to have marriage in order to have the estate of the, of the home. Uh, but once then, so, so that is keeping, you know, everyone in some kind of a grid and understanding themselves in terms of male and female, you know, male and family, he created them. And so, so marriage is, is the thing that's given to society to kind of hold all that together. But once you, once you said that, that institution of marriage is has nothing to do with one's gender or sex. Then now we've we've opened the floodgates to not have any definition of of one's own identity. Hmm. That's fantastic. I, I I hadn't pushed it that far. You you've so this is a really helpful step beyond it. So, um, but it seems like it. it so this is a. Uh, it's, it seems I'm, I'm processing here because it seems like it is a strain because it is unnatural. I mean, there there is something about just the sort of intrinsic way that we're created as a man or a woman, as a child, as a member of the family, that is so foundational that to come and sort of erode that away involves some an act of incredulity. Which I I wonder if that's why they're so they're so uh, so defensive about this. So, so apparently, like in the news story, here's a Catholic adoption agency. They've never, they've never even been approached by a same-sex couple to right. see if they would adopt them. So they've never actually acted on their policy, but their policy itself is so offensive that it it has to be destroyed, and everything else has to be destroyed mm-hmm. because that policy might snap someone back to to what they already intrinsically know naturally about what they're doing and what they're engaged in. Yeah, I think that's right. That's that's a good point. Yeah, good. Let's mm. let's hear some more here. Okay, so Kathy, Tony Perkins, who's with the Family Research Council, the president, he says this, the need for this action is unfortunately evident as various state and local governments have trampled upon religious freedom protections and the First Amendment, forcing the shutdown of faith-based adoption providers that decline to leave their faith at the door. Kathy, should they have to choose between the two things? Well, I actually worked as a senior advisor for HHS, which is in charge of this uh, plan. So for the Health and, Health and Human, Human Service Administration, ugh, hard to get out, HHS. And um, yes, you actually, um, I'm a raised Catholic. You really need to put the needs of the needy in front of religious beliefs when it comes to these issues. The needs of children and the needy have to come first. And then our religious beliefs need to come second. So I really feel that they are being sued because if they do turn away a family that does not fit their religious needs, uh, those children will go without. 
So it's it's in case if a family does come and wants to adopt and take care and uh, foster children, they cannot. All right, what a terrible time for a break. We're going to respond to that right yeah, after this break. Incredible. Because the that's needs awesome. of children need to come before your religious values. That's kind of the point of this game, I think. She should play some 10 minutes of deuce. We'll be right back. That's right. <laughs> Friends don't let friends listen to Table Talk Radio. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. You really need to put the needs of the needy in front of religious beliefs when it comes to these issues. The needs of children and the needy have to come first, and then our religious beliefs need to come second. So I really feel that they are being sued because if they do turn... All right, that's the story we're listening to from Fox News on... uh, (laughs) Oh, that's so crazy. It's if they do turn away someone... If they do turn away someone because they're a same-sex couple, they already said that there's never been a same-sex couple actually come to do that. They've never, right. ever not placed a child because of that particular policy. It's never happened. But because they have the policy in place, which they think is how they ought to be helping children, that they come and get sued so that now it's like, oh, you want to keep your religious convictions and help orphans? Never mind. We're going to burn <laughs> down your house. I mean, I mean, at all because we love the poor so much that we're going to burn down the soup kitchen because there's a cross on the wall. I mean, it's not a love for the. This is not motivated by a love for the poor. It's motivated by this insanity of trying to protect the self-justifying conscience. Oh, I know. I mean, like, this is, you, you need to care more about children. You need to put children in a home with two dads, and then you'll be caring about children. And then you can yeah, have your if religion. You ref- <laughs> if you refuse to do that, then you shouldn't do anything for any children. There's going to be, I mean, we're, we'd rather shut down the whole adoption agency than let them possibly stand there with a rule that they've never actually even acted upon <laughs> because out of love for the poor. It's like this is what this is the like the definition of cutting off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> it's just remember that movie, the famous movie, Nacho Libre. Oh, the famous one. Yeah, I do. And uh, and the Escalito and uh, Nacho are fighting, and Escalito says, "I hate orphans." <laughs> That's all I can see when this lady's talking. <laughs> I hate every orphan in the world. <laughs> Say it again in my face. I hate orphans. <laughs> <laughs> you got a Catholic? Oh, you got a Catholic orphanage? The, well, then burn it down. I mean, because I, the poor. It's the poor. interesting to me, and, and I'm sure Catholics everywhere are shaking their head at this. But it's interesting to me that uh, someone could. I mean, they're, 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 they say this to try to gain some authority on the topic. Say, I was raised Catholic. So what follows is going to be the most anti-Catholic thing that you can ever hear. But I was raised Catholic, so you can't just throw me out. That's right. My grandma has a picture of the Pope somewhere. Or some other guy with a halo. I don't know. There's some blood on it. I think it's a Pope. This... 
You're, you're, the care for the poor has to be above your religious convictions. And if it's not, then you cannot do either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's just, that's how this goes, though. I mean, this is a destroying sort of thing. This, and, and remember that sin doesn't, sin has its own very twisted evil logic to it. It's not normal. It's not, it's not, you, you don't look at it and you're like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> no, sin, you, you could hardly ever say that about sin. And that is the case with this story. Mm -hmm. It just leaves you shaking your head. All right. I got no groceries for breakfast because of you. I'm sick of hearing about your stupid orphans. <laughs> I hate orphans. <laughs> Say it again to my face. I hate them. Come again? I hate all the orphans in the whole world. Say it again to my face. <laughs> but, I mean, he was raised a Catholic, so... That's right. <laughs> but, all right. I'm so, sick of hearing about your orphans. <laughs> so, um, tell, tell what about Ten Commandments of the story? Well, I mean, okay, let's see. We got the adoption thing. That has to do with family. Ugh, adoption. By the way, we should extol adoption more than we do because... Great point. When, if someone doesn't have parents or someone's parents are, dis, are you know incapacitated from being parents through whatever sickness or disease or their own sinfulness, their own choices, whatever that, that, that here you have children need that need uh, families and, and adoption has been this ancient, very profound way of saying, Hey, you come and be part of my family. So it's not, it's not an accident that, that the Christian church has um, been, has founded orphanages and adoption agencies for that very purpose because we understand the importance of family. And so that is to be extolled. That's Fourth Commandment stuff. Um, because it has to do with uh, marriage and the definition of marriage, that's seventh, uh, Sixth Commandment. Sorry, you should not commit adultery. And, um, and, and that gives us the Lord's gift of marriage uh, and, and sexual intimacy for the purpose of family and children. There's no accident that the fourth, fifth, and sixth commandments are connected to one another. That you have the sixth commandment, which brings forth life, that's protected by the fifth commandment, which is nurtured in the family, that's the fourth commandment. So they're bound up to one another. We also are told that you have to obey God rather than man when it comes to this sort of stuff, and that has to do with the first, second, and third commandments. The first commandment having no other gods, the second commandment, which has to do with prayer in the name of God, and the third commandment, which has to do with the word and the worship of God. Those are all at play here, and those are primary commandments. So if the world comes along and says, to, to do, if you want to do this good work, you have to do this other sin, we have to say, well, look, we have to obey God rather than man. Now, and, uh, is, there, is there freedom for the Christian to decide that I'm going to do that thing anyway and willingly suffer the consequences or just decide not to do that thing? Because there's Christians everywhere that aren't involved in adoption, and that that's okay. I mean, that's not a that's sin. Okay. Um, right. But if I'm going to do it and I'm going to get punished, so is there is there freedom for the Christian to decide? Or is that because I have been doing it, then I'm going to do it with, with punishment in mind? Yeah, sometimes there is freedom to decide. Um, sometimes there's not. And in other words, if someone, you know, if you come across someone dying on the street, you, you, you don't have the freedom then to decide to help them or not. But right. in most cases, if a family's sitting there saying, hey, should we adopt or not? I mean, sometimes it happens. Like you're a grandparent and your children have a kid and, and then your children die or something like this. And there you have your grandchildren that has no parents. You, 
you know, your, your Christian good work is going to say, if I can, even if it's hard, I'm going to adopt the baby and take care of him and so forth. So sometimes you don't have a choice, but most of the time you do, and, and that's fine. And so we're, that's where, where we pray for wisdom and trust that the Lord gives us wisdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we see this, of course, with all of the, uh, the wedding-related businesses, you know, bakeries, photographers, all this stuff. And, uh, and if, if I'm a, a Christian photographer, for example— and I have been for you know ten years, and then these laws come into place. Um, it's certainly within my Christian freedom to say, you know, I'm just going to decide to get into a, a different business. Um, right. But or I can decide I'm going to keep doing it. Um, right. But but it, it it doesn't really fit the the Christian conscience to say uh, I'm going to comply with the I'm uh, I'm going to comply with the laws of the land, even if it sins against my Lord. Right. That's it. So I can break the so the, so we have the we have our Christian freedom, which is a freedom to break the law. Yeah, <laughs> and to, but to suffer the consequences mm-hmm. if the laws go against what God commands us, which is kind of nice. I mean, this is part of the reason why we say, "Hey, Jesus is King," is because because He's King. So He's the one that gives <laughs> us the law, and we follow His law. And it, we have other little kings, and if those little kings want to contradict the the King of Kings, then. You know, fine. And tell and the judge that. To, to say, yeah. judge, you're just a little king. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's what the martyrs always used to say. The, the martyrs, they would sit there and, the, and these pro-councils would say, hey, I'm going to burn you. And they'd say, well, your fire only lasts for a couple of hours, but my king's fire lasts forever. <laughs> and he, by the way, will judge king. you. You're just a tiny little judge. <laughs> <laughs> that's, can you imagine? I mean, and the pro-councils would get so mad because they're supposed to be, you know, lord and king of everything in the world. And, and here the Christians say, no, no. I got someone. I got someone more important than you, and uh, and I'm and that means I'm not afraid of you. You know, I'm not. We're not afraid of these little judges running around with their jails and their little fines and all mm-hmm. this kind of nonsense. We're not. We're not authorized to be afraid of them because we have Jesus. Right. We, so good. All right. Well, uh, I have another story here. All right. Let's, did you get all the commandments you wanted to get in there? So. Okay. Let's see. Seventh. I don't know if there's seventh got in there. Eighth commandment. It's being reported and so forth. Ninth commandment. Uh, uh, no. It, I mean, maybe just to make this point that that uh, you, you got when it comes to justification, you got two options: either Jesus will do it, or you will try to do it yourself. Jesus will justify you and succeed, or you will try to justify yourself and not succeed. And when you find yourself in these cases where you're where you're making your own defense of your own righteousness and you're silencing anything that would contradict that defined righteousness in your own conscience. You're going to be in a dangerous spot, and you're not going to make sense, much like this lady. So. All right. Here's another story. I can't figure out if this is a super short story, if it's one of those that you have to like click everywhere to get the rest of the story. I hate those things. Just give me the whole thing. Anyway, this uh, headline says, Southern Baptist president says he prefers to call transgender people by their chosen pronouns. Calling it pronoun hospitality, Southern Baptist Convention President J.D. Greer, uh, Greer, yeah, uh, revealed on a Ask Me Anything episode of his podcast, he prefers to call transgender people by their preferred pronouns. Greer said that while there is room for disagreement and Christians should disagree charitably, he sees it as a hospitable courtesy to refer to transgender people by their chosen pronouns, despite knowing that their sex does not match their descriptors. 
quote, there is a spectrum of generosity of spirit versus truth, uh, telling the truth, Greer told the podcast's description. I tend toward generosity of spirit. All right, so what do you think of that? So, I mean, there, there's this, we, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit, that um, there's this issue in our in our country. Do you hear that music? It's so, in, at the worst it's times. doesn't care. Just well, interrupt. Well, this is something for you to ponder during the break. Okay. Uh, when people are identifying themselves as a gender other than what they actually are, should those around them, Christians around them, in, res- in respect use the pronouns that they've chosen or use their actual pronouns. We'll talk about that right after this. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Gotcha! Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. There is a spectrum of generosity of spirit versus telling truth. I tend towards generosity of spirit. That's what Southern Baptist Convention President J.D. Greer said concerning dealing with uh, those who uh, have different pronouns than what their birth would indicate. And the question is, should we be using those pronouns in a generosity of spirit? What do you think, Pastor Wolfman? What do you think about this? So I was trying to—I should have been looking at this during the break instead of looking at the no malarkey bus tour of Joe (laughs) Biden. But because— But what if you don't know what malarkey is? (laughs) It's defined on the side of the bus. Oh, good. Which I didn't know. I was trying to figure (laughs) out. It means— it means insincere or foolish talk. I, I couldn't. I was trying to figure out how would you define malarkey. Anyway, uh, Al Moeller, remember Al Moeller? He's president of Southern Seminary. He's also a Southern Baptist guy. He got a letter from from the like Attorney General of Canada because in his briefing he referred to a person of transgender uh, sympathies according to the wrong pronoun, and he got this censure. Like, Uh there was a a war. I don't know what it is. They were going to give him a fine or throw him in prison. I don't know what they're going to do. It's crazy. Now, now the uh, the guy who got into big trouble about this was uh, Jordan Peterson. Remember that guy? Yeah. The Jungian psychologist, Jordan Peterson. In Canada, by the way. In Canada, and he said, I'll talk I'll call someone according to their preferred pronoun, but I will not be forced to do it by the government. That's a big difference. And mm. I wonder if that's at play here. Uh, there's a way, When does it become adiaphora? But I'm not sure someone's pronouns are adiaphora because it's just, it is just participating in some kind of insanity. Now, now look, if this is, might be a kick the dog, console the child kind of thing because if there's someone that's really wrestling with with their gender identity, you can imagine how you might want to deal in, in, in profound kindness and sympathy with them, understanding that this is not, this is not a good spot where they're in. But You know, and, and if I could just interject real quick, because I'm making a great point. I think it's, it's worthwhile for us to remember that, I mean, we have the tendency to think because we see the stuff on the news and watch YouTube or whatever we do, our exposure to this issue is usually those who are trying to advance it politically. It's a good reminder that you just brought to us that 
that there are people who are really struggling with this issue and not trying to advance a political agenda, but they're just looking at themselves and they're they're having issues, they're having problems, and 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 that right. does uh, that is a matter of consoling the child. Right, and so and that, that's a reference, so I, by the way. Some, <laughs> just real, just real quick, because people might not understand if you just heard that. That's a reference to a game we play, uh, kick oh, the yes. dog over the child, where uh, where you make a discernment whether someone has been falsely taught, you deal with them gently, versus someone who is a false teacher, you would deal with them with some more strictness. So that's what that's a reference to. Yeah, the difference when a dog bites a child, you kick the dog and console the child. And so that's where the picture comes from. It's kind of nice, from Luther, Galatians commentary. Um, but everyone's favorite Luther stuff is when he's kicking the dog, you know. Yeah, and yeah. kicking the dog is what makes good... I don't know what makes good podcasts, I suppose. But we, but we don't want to forget this, that there's the, there's the child to console most of the time. And maybe that's what this guy is saying. Look, if you can, if, if, you, if there's a way that you can in pronoun in order to, to serve them with the love of the, the Lord, then maybe there is, you might find opportunity to do something like that. It's, it's within our Christian freedom. But... But how how can you do it without participating in a in a delusion, or or adding or giving them? Because remember how this in like the last news story, this one goes back to this self justifying conscience. Mm-hmm. So how can I how can I engage with someone while not giving them the material that they're demanding to help them self justify? Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think I think there's also a point, and maybe maybe you kind of already made this point, but there, there's a difference between sitting across the table and talking to someone and uh, doing a podcast so that um, I, might, I, might, I might show uh, a certain uh, generosity to someone that I'm speaking to face-to-face. Um, and if it can uh, allow for some more conversation, uh, then to deal with them, as you said, more gently. But that doesn't mean that when I refer to – when I um, – refer to it in a podcast there's a difference between talking to someone and when you're speaking in a in a podcast how how do i refer to someone almost uh what am i trying to say i don't want to say third person but but in other words how do i how do i understand a person who's a man who calls himself a woman well this person is a man right i mean just objectively speaking this person's a man now if if i'm talking to that person i might I might deal with them one way, but but as a whole, I mean, we're, we're not going to deny reality. We're not going to deny what is true. I mean, how we speak about things, you know, you and I, does not change, to, you know, just because someone says that there's something different. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Yep, that's right. All right. And- so we're often in the, in, these, in the mess in the middle of these conversations. I mean, oftentimes it's really, it's tough to know up and down, and so... We're sitting there. We're gonna we're gonna try to love, and we're gonna sin, and we're gonna ask for forgiveness. And but, but, but we want to keep our sanity. We we don't want to. This is the. the I, I was listening to. Uh, who who was this? Uh, I was reading Cyril of Alexandria, and he was talking about one of the ways that the Romans would torture people, is that they would take a person who's alive, and they would they would change they would wrap them up next to a corpse. Mm. So, and what would happen is as the corpse would rot, that rot would spread into the person's body that they wow. were next to. So the, the living person would begin to share in the rot of their body would rot away. That's gross. Mm-hmm. I should have warned you. Uh, the, um, 
And the devil does the same thing. He tries to tie us to rot. Mm. And it and so we, we, we it starts to kind of eat away at us. And so we don't we don't want to let all this sort of stuff eat away at our sense of what's of what's real. Mm-hmm. So we want to have a charitable mind, but we want to have a mind that's also bound to the institutions of God, to things like man and woman and family and life and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah what you said. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and the Roman rot thing, too, did you? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that, too. I just, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, commandments that. on this? Uh, well, we got marriage again, and we got man and woman. That's fourth and sixth commandment, and... um. Uh, well, as, what, as far uh, as you have a, a pastor speaking to, I mean, I, w- I would like to assume then, for the sake of the kingdom, you know, that we're dealing with uh, first, second, and third commandments here. Yeah, that's right. It is certainly theological. So the pastor is making this point that, and and there is a way that we that that the eighth commandment governs our speech, so that we're not talking ill about anybody, but we want to be speaking the truth. So I'll bet you this is probably an eighth commandment, mostly an eighth commandment. Um, uh, uh, story. How do I speak rightly about my neighbor? Yeah, good. All right, I'm going to hit pause real quick because I want to queue up the a uh, certain part of this video. Pause. All right, so uh, with our last story, just a few minutes left here, Pastor Wolfman, there, there's a, a story from Fox News in which uh, Paula White has become President Trump's key spiritual advisor, and um, I guess she uh, is said to be the longtime pastor of, of, of President Trump, and uh, the, the person in- interviewing her on Fox News asked this question, kind of interesting. Up now that you're in this new position as well. Um, uh, Jeremy Peters, writing this in the New York Times, says, among Christians, Ms. White is a divisive figure. Her association with the belief that God wants followers to find wealth and health, commonly called prosperity gospel, is highly unorthodox in the faith and considered heretical by many. I mean, you've been a faith leader for a long time. What do you make of that critique of you? I've been in ministry for 35 years, and I've heard just about everything said. First off, I do not believe that uh, in this, what you would say, like, Uh, you give to get, and that is what they try to label it as prosperity. I believe that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. I've had to defend the trinity of all things, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I think most of this is a political ploy just to hurt our president, to hurt the great faith agenda that he continues to advance. Um, Anyone that's ever listened to my message knows very well that I believe in very solid biblical beliefs. So, this is not anything new. Well, you- All right. So what do you think about that, Pastor Wolfman? Man, oh, man. I don't know enough about Paula uh, White to dis- seems that she seems, uh, I mean, from everything that I know about her, she seems like she is one of these prosperity gospels. What I don't know what I can, I don't know what to say about that. Do you know enough about her? Uh, not really, but I mean, I'd probably be free to Chris Roseboro. He'll he'll give you the lowdown on that. But yeah, that's um, right. But 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 to maybe just to analyze what was said. So reading this quote that you know she's a prosperity gospel, and she says, "Well, I don't believe that you give to get." So is she off the hook then of being a prosperity gospel because she doesn't believe that you give to get? <laughs> yeah, no. But but I mean, just half off the hook. I mean, that is what they say. You know, it's like faith is this 
force that brings stuff to you. And it would make sense from what I, whenever I hear President T- Trump talk about theology, he, he does have that bent to him. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if those two kind of flock together. It, it's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, certainly uh, this would deal with the first commandment, second commandment, third, third commandment, and then the fourth commandment. So we're talking about the president of the United States having a, a spiritual advisor. Uh, so this is dealing with government as well. And the topic of a conversation, to be fair, was how Trump is uh, trying to advance matters for the faith community, if you will. So that's, that's going to be... We need to have Lumpy do some research on... Yeah, get Lumpy Paul on White. it. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where Paula White is not a prosperity gospel according to the... Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. (laughs) Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. I like how you use your own buzzword. I don't even try. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, air loss, hallucinations, conversion to complete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the cabalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.